Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for uh, the weekly blessing and joy uh, that it is to join together with each other in community. God, to, um, God, to lift our voices to you in praise. Um, God, to open your word and, and Lord, have you speak to us through it. Um, God, we thank you for again this season of Thanksgiving. God, we thank you that we live in a, um, in a country, God, that as a part of its national character and, and, um, God, liturgy of the year that, that it has, um, thoughtfully and willfully set aside a time, um, to turn our attention, um, to you in the ways that you have blessed and cared, uh, for us. God, we ask, uh, that you would continue to, um, God, keep your gaze and your hand on our country. Um, as we continue to deal with uh, aspects uh, with with COVID, but God continuing also to deal with the the division uh, and the disunity in our country over um, various things, God, we ask that you would bless us. Um, we ask that um, you would work in our midst to bring um, peace uh, and and unity, but God, that you would do that not. Um, <laughs> Isolated from everything else, God, that you would do it through your gospel, um, that our country would uh, come to know Jesus Christ, uh, and that through uh, the power of your word, um, working by the Spirit, um, that you would draw people um, into holiness and, and godliness, into peace, into mercy, into forgiveness, uh, into um, care and concern for their neighbor. God, and that you would bless in all of these areas. Father, you have done so much over uh, the centuries uh, in our country um, to bless us, and we ask that um, you would draw us to yourself in your mercy uh, and continue to, uh, to work in those ways. We thank you. God, we ask that you open your word now to us, shine a light on it, shine a light on our hearts. Um, God, let us understand the word rightly and apply it rightly. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I don't know if you had, had thought about it or, or recognized it, but this is a historic anniversary um, this week. So this Thanksgiving marks the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving um, that took place uh, in in New England um, when the Pilgrims had landed. So so if you kind of go back and think about the history. Um, the pilgrims landed in roughly October of 1620, but that first year was not when the, that first Thanksgiving took place. They were still trying to get landed and, and get things going. And so they sort of got here right in the middle of winter and it was, um, uh, there was a lot of, of struggle and, and illness and death that, that took place particularly in that first winter. Um, but it was not until the fall of 1621 that that famous meal was shared between the pilgrims, um, and what ended up being hundreds 
of Native Americans, particularly from the Poconoit tribe, um, who you may remember from, from school uh, and, and their chief Massasoit. And so um, we actually know a decent amount about kind of how that went down, despite all of the, you know, pictures that we have, uh, you know, of art, of uh, pilgrims sitting at a long table set up outside with white tablecloths and things like that. That's probably not how it went down. Um, uh, the, uh, there was no pumpkin pie. Um, there was no cranberry sauce uh, at that first Thanksgiving. There was definitely turkey, though. Um, and there was probably not ham, which is should put to rest forever that debate about what are we supposed to eat? Is it turkey at Thanksgiving or ham at Thanksgiving? And the answer is obviously turkey, okay? Ham is a Christmas dish. Turkey is a Thanksgiving dish. That's a freebie. You don't even have to charge me for that. Um, in many ways, um, it was it was... The, the, the celebration that they had, that meal that they shared with the Native Americans was similar to any um, fall festival, harvest festival that they would have had back in the old world. Um, uh, those kind of things went on throughout Europe. They were not necessarily particularly religious um, events. They celebrated the community bringing in the harvest. However, these were pilgrims. Uh, more particularly, they were Puritans who were pilgrims in the New World, which meant everything they did was a function of their relationship with God. Um, and so that first Thanksgiving, even though sometimes you'll read in, in histories and accounts of it that uh, it was a it was a generically sort of secular event, the answer is nothing the pilgrims did was generically secular. Okay, that wasn't the kind of people that they were. Um, everything came back to God and to his provision as they recognized that it should. And so the Puritans, again, knew that, as all Christians have always known, that Thanksgiving, not the event, but the attitude of our hearts, is, is a at the core of Christian devotion. All right? Us being devoted to God rightly, when you get down to the center of what that looks like, at, somewhere at the beginning of it is Thanksgiving. And a lack of thanksgiving is a bellwether for a life that is drifting from God. And, and by the same token, any recognition of thanksgiving is in a way an act of repentance, okay? A recognition, a turning back towards God, a beginning of a journey back towards God. Anytime we recognize and are thankful to God for something, it is us turning towards him. And so, I, again, I think it's cool. It's neat to live in a country where Thanksgiving has loomed large in our consciousness. The fact that we have a national holiday that is recognized and people everywhere get off work. Um, it's, it's always been bizarre to me for secular people who don't believe in God who get off for Thanksgiving. I'm like, what are you giving thanks? Who are you giving thanks to? Okay, yourself, uh, your hard work. I, like, I don't know who they're talking to. Um, and yet there is this, this ethos, like we all seem to recognize that this is something important that we should do, that we should stop and give thanks for, for the blessings and provision, uh, that we have in our lives. By that same token, it is sad and probably telling that we have a culture that has started to shift in the sense that we go from Halloween, the commercial holiday of Halloween, to the largely commercialized holiday of Christmas, Straight away, right? You build up in October with scary Halloween stuff, and then November 1st, all of a sudden everything is Christmas. 
Okay. And I understand there's a monetary and economic reason for that, but maybe it says more about the fact that our country is drifting away from recognizing Thanksgiving as its own unique thing. But over the decades, over the centuries of American life, um, we have recognized the need for Thanksgiving, that it is right and necessary for people to recognize the blessings that they have from God. So Psalms, the psalmist says in, in verse four of this section of Psalms that we're looking at, Psalm number 100, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. That's going to kind of be the theme for, for our passage. And the rest of it is going to reflect on that line. He calls for his, for his people to come into his presence with thanksgiving, enter his courts. Again, enter into um, the presence of God with praise, with exaltation of his name. That's, that's, that is to say, we are coming in there talking about how good God is, how great God is, and all the things he has done for us. But he also tells us how to express that kind of thanks in this passage. And he also tells us what will aid in stirring up our hearts to elicit that kind of thanks. All right. So, so I want to talk about those two ideas, how we express thankfulness, or at least some of the ways we express thankfulness, not only, not the only ways of how we express thankfulness, but, but true and commanded ways. And then also what will stir up our hearts towards that. So the first thing is, is we notice this in verse one. One of the ways that we express thankfulness is we sing. We make, it says in verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? All the earth, make a joyful noise noise to the Lord. It's interesting that it says all the earth, right? Again, it doesn't just say believers make this joyful noise. It says all people should do it. Why? Because there is, again, a recognition here that thanksgiving is something that all humans should recognize. The blessings of God on all of the world are something that we should all recognize. But he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Obviously, we joke about that all the time because many of us, when we sing, we are definitely making a noise. Um, and But when we hope we are doing it joyfully. But singing is an act of obedience. Singing is something that God commands us to do. And he says it is an expression of our obedience to God. You know, we sang two Keith Getty, Keith and Kristen Getty songs today, which I, I didn't realize that we were going to sing those until later in the week. But but uh, the Gettys are, are one of my favorite current um, songwriters, Christian songwriters and, and singers. They're actually, I think probably a lot of us found out they're having a concert in Knoxville at the beginning of December that there are probably tickets still available for. Christy and I and are going and several others, I think. Um, but Keith Getty's a cool dude. He's got a lot of interesting stuff. He's, he, he thinks well about music and singing and these things. And he says this, he says, singing is an act of obedience. We gather and sing because we are called to do it. Like telling the truth like loving our wives and our children, like loving our neighbors as ourselves. That is the level that we're talking about. These things may seem like bold statements, but consider this. Singing is a real and tangible expression of loving the Lord with our whole heart and our whole selves. All right, we are called to sing. So obviously there is an aspect of obedience there, but I want to join, uh, zoom in on a different word. 
It's not the command to sing that I want to focus on, but I want to focus on the part where it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. We may sing out of duty in response to that command, but God wants us to sing not just out of duty, but out of joy. Joy that flows from a heart of thankfulness. So, you know, one of the things that probably many of us have missed when, because of COVID is live music. All right. The fact that, that it's been harder to go to concerts and things like that. Um, and, and, and people have missed that, right? I, I love going to, to live music events where there is a huge crowd. Okay, especially when it's people who are there who know the music of the person that's singing, whether it's 5,000 people, whether it's 50,000 people, and they're all singing along to the, to the songs. There's something cool that happens there. There's a neat feeling um, that, 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 that we get in those places. And so oftentimes you've probably been a part of it. Oftentimes you will be sitting there in the midst of a concert and the, and the artist is singing and the crowd is singing along. And then all of a sudden what happens in the middle of it, the artist just stops singing and he lets the crowd sing the song. It happens all the time. Um, and they're neat moments to be in. You know, most of y'all know I'm a big Tom Petty fan and there have been several times where I've been at Tom Petty concerts and all of a sudden he just stops and he lets the crowd sing out these anthems, right? And sometimes the reason why they're singing these things at the top of their lungs is because they're catchy and fun and they're just sort of those sort of fun songs. But oftentimes it's because that music has meant something to these people, right? And as they sing it, there's something going on where they are declaring something that, that moved them, right? Some, at some moment in their life, that song meant something to them. And it's beautiful. It's a cool thing to be a part of. Obviously, it takes on a whole another significant level when we're talking about that in a Christian context. And so I think of, of places like T4G, the Together for the Gospel Conference, that uh, it turns out this is going to be the last one in, in coming in April. It's always awesome to be there because basically what it is is it's a guy with a piano, and he's leading the song, and then it's about 15,000 men mostly. There's usually a, a couple of hundred women there, but it's mostly pastors and stuff like that. And man, the, the, the sound of, of 15,000 men singing these songs to the Lord is moving. There's something, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. It's one of the things that I'm going to miss most, that in the free books, about T4G, okay? Um, some of you guys have been to over the years, the passion conferences that were, that are put on in, in, um, Atlanta. I, I've been to passion when there were 60,000 people at the Georgia Dome. And they start singing these songs. There's 60,000 people sitting there singing these songs together. Um, and it's, a, it's an incredible thing to, to be a part of. It happens here, all right? It happens at College Street. There are, there are lots of weeks where as we start to sing, you know, it's, again, it's interesting. Uh, uh, Nick and Alyssa were out of town this week, and so we didn't have the amplification this week. We didn't have the sound set up. It was just our voices, right? Um, and And... Maybe that was providential because there's something cool that happens. Um, I love, there's, there's times where I'm sitting out here and, and I'll be honest, there's times when we're being lazy in our singing um, and, and you can hear it, but there's other times where we're not. And we can, you can hear the sound of, of our voices joining together and it's awesome. Like it is moving to, to hear that. And so here's the deal. The, God's word says, I'm calling you to live in thanksgiving to me. And one of the ways that you express that thanksgiving is you sing out. You sing about how, who I am and, how, and what I have done. 
And we should, we should recognize, um, that every single time we sing or we don't sing, we are being a witness to something. We are being a witness to ourselves. We are being a witness to the guests who are in our church. We are being a witness to our children. We are being witnesses to passerbys that might be hearing us through the windows. And the reality is this. We are either being a witness of our joy and our thankfulness and our devotion and our belief, or we are being a witness of our boredom or our apathy or our self-consciousness or our embarrassment or something like that. But every time we sing, we are being a witness to something because that's what it is. Singing is a witness. And I thought about the fact that it's weird how you think about there's not many places where we sing outside of the entertainment world, right? Like it's not a part of our normal thing. Like I was trying to think, I was like, so we sing the national anthem, right? That's a big deal because we're pledging allegiance to our country and stuff. And then like, other than church, like there's not a lot of places that we sing. We even major important events like weddings or the birth of children, or there are all kinds of these things where we go, we don't sing at those things. And I've, I've got a feeling like people in previous eras of human history have done those things. Even when we do sing at a wedding, what are we doing? We're singing church songs, which again is cool, but like it's interesting that we, that we have relegated singing to the church, but I think that's because we recognize the significance of it, um, the importance of it in a lot of ways. And so I don't know. There's something interesting there. I didn't think those thoughts out clearly, but it, it's, it's interesting to think that we don't sing in many places. Um, certainly not when we are trying to be meaningful as opposed to just trying to be entertained. Singing is an expression of our thankfulness, but not only that. Verse 2, we find out that what else do we do? We serve the Lord in gladness. Coming into his presence with singing again. There it is again. So twice we've been told to sing. But the beginning says we serve the Lord with gladness. In a similar way, serving the Lord is a calling of obedience. We all know that. Part of obeying God and living faithfully to him is, is we serve him. But again, I want to zoom in not on the obedience side of it, but the word gladness. Right? Serve the Lord with gladness. So, so again, duty, that sense of obligation, aren't bad motives. It's not bad to do something out of obligation or a sense of, of duty or responsibility. Those aren't bad motives. They're true. They're just not enough. You can't live your life with duty being what motivates you. When all else fails, it's that sense of obligation that should keep us in check. I think about it's it's like a harness. It's like a safety harness, right? If you fall off the building while you're painting, that safety harness is there to keep you from crashing to the ground. But you're not really supposed to like hang from the harness and like swing back and forth against the wall and paint while you're like that's not what it's made for. Obligation, duty, that sense is the same thing. It's there to keep you on the days that the other things that should be fueling your faith and devotion aren't there. It's there to keep you in place. So what then should be fueling that devotion? Well, the answer is joy. Gladness should be fueling it. And the reality is, is joy or, or gladness in our, in our work, it changes the task, the service, any service, in or outside the church, from drudgery into delight. So again, last week we talked about Lottie Moon. 
And we talked about towards the end of her life, she was in China and, and conditions had deteriorated all over the place. Um, she was in the midst of, of oppression, political unrest, starvation, loneliness, lack of support. And then what did we read in the letter that she had written? She said, I have never found mission work more enjoyable. I constantly thank God that he has given me work that I love so much. Like, how is that possible? How can you be starving to death in the midst of daily oppression, potentially being killed or, or whatever, and to say, man, I'm having the best time of my life. I love being here. I love what God has me doing. When someone has acted in kindness to you, I think the case is, most of us anyway, I'm happy and excited to help them back, right? If somebody has done something to help me, if I have an opportunity to help them, um, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm excited to do that, right? And I don't mean it in a transactional sense. It's not like, well, you scratch my back and now I scratch yours. There's something else going on there. It's a relational reality. When you have been served and somebody has done something good for you, there ought to be a normal response where we, where we want to serve and help and we are happy to, to do that. But then I recognize my own, the disconnect in my own heart when it comes to God on things like that. Because I don't seem to respond to God all the time in the same way. Why is it that oftentimes the simplest acts of devotion to God, the simplest acts of service to God, seem like an inconvenience to me? Or an imposition? Or even a drudgery sometimes? Like, well, I guess i got to get this done. What What's going on? And again, that's an indictment of my heart. I don't know if you deal with that. Maybe you don't. But I can tell you this, man, my life is certainly not more difficult than Lottie Moon's, okay? Um, I'm certainly not dealing with the difficulties that she dealt with. My life and the service that I'm rendering is not more demanding. So then what is it? Well, I think the answer is, is that it must lie in my thanksgiving. Or, or more accurately, the lack thereof in my own heart. Because the reality is, is that I have not properly reflected on God's service to me, the way that he has taken care of me, the way that he has rendered that love and help to me. And because I haven't reflected on it, because it hasn't connected, then when it is time for me to serve God, uh, it seems like an inconvenience, which is a good segue into the next thing, the next idea. Because he, in this passage, tells us not only how to show thanksgiving, okay? So we just said two things. We sing and we serve, okay? There are other ways that we can express thanksgiving that we could talk about, but that's not what he talks about in this passage. We sing and we serve. But now the question is, is how do I stir up my heart to these things? How do I make it to where I want to sing with joy? How do I, how do I get to the point where I serve in gladness? What elicits thanksgiving in me? Well, I think the, the, the key is that verse three. What does he say in verse three? He says, Know that the Lord, he is God. Knowing God truly, rightly, deeply, is the beginning of where Thanksgiving comes from. So we have talked about before that in, in life, in anything, in love, in, in uh, anytime you're exalting in something, I, I don't know even the best way to say it, um, experiencing it as a good uh, that can take two forms. This is sort of a little rabbit trail. We can either experience things, the novelty of those things, 
the newness of them, or we can experience the intimacy of that thing, the depth of it. All right, so as an example, consider food. Consider some kind of, any kind of designer kind of food that we have, uh, something like cheese or wine or coffee, okay? So you can either enjoy coffee by trying lots of different kinds and enjoying the interesting facts that they taste a little bit different and things like that, and that's one way that we can enjoy coffee. Um, or you can just drink one coffee. And you can drink it so often and so repeatedly that you know all of the intricacies of, of that coffee, its aspects, its flavors, its aroma, its texture, its consistency, however you want to talk about it, okay? Those are both ways that we know and exalt and take joy in something. Well, here's the deal. The same is true of the knowledge of God, the way we enjoy God. We enjoy receiving new fresh insights about God. Everybody does, okay? I would be willing to bet that many, and in fact, I know it's true because it's usually what you share with me as we walk out the door if you have something to say about the sermon. When you walk out the door, if you have noticed something new, if something I said was something that you had never thought about before or recognized before, it is often the thing that you will say to me. You'll say, you know, I never thought about it. You said this and I never thought about that. Okay. Um, in fact, for, I think a lot of people, it's the way that you judge whether or not a time of teaching or sermon or something like that was good or beneficial or something like that. Because it was a moment where you had a novel idea come in, a new idea. Okay. Again, nothing wrong with that. That's good. That's one way we experience these things. Um, but it's not the only way. The other way is to grow in the knowledge of something by digging in deeper to a particular truth or, or reconsidering it or reapplying it or, or, or however you want to think about digging more deeply into an idea. So we've all, or not all of us, but many of us have been reading that book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, we gave out free copies of it a while back. And so some small groups have been doing it. Some people have been reading it on their own. Man, Gentle and Lowly is a digging deep kind of book. What we kind of discovered in our small group that was, about, man, 10 or 12 weeks in, we were kind of like, okay, I think we got it. Like, I think we have understood the general message of this book. But the interesting thing is, is that it kept on going for multiple chapters, right? Why? Because what it was doing is it was dissecting this idea of the gentle and lowly heart of God. And it was going to different verses, verses and it was showing you different angles. And it was picking that idea apart, okay? Um, he quotes the Puritans a lot in it, and that is a very Puritan thing to do. Um, is to is to dis dissect these issues and these truths of God down to minutia. That's another way that we receive and enjoy God's word, to know him deeply and intimately. And so I, I say all that as a preface to basically say the rest of what we see in this passage are probably not truths that are going to be novel to you. They're not things that you're going to walk out of here and go, you know, I never heard that God was loving before. This is the very first time, man. I'm glad I came tonight. That's probably not what the, the case is. Um, they are not new, but here's the deal. I guarantee that you have not plumbed their depths. I guarantee that you have not dug down to bedrock and then kept on going when it comes to these doctrines. Because the reality is, is they're probably bottomless. But he note, we notice three things in this passage. Um, at, well, two categories, and then we'll break it down into three things in a second. So, so the first thing is this. The way that we know God more deeply, he brings out a couple of things for us. Number one, we know 
that we are his. That's the first thing that we have. We know that we are his. It is he who made us, verse 3, the second half of verse 3. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So on the one side, at the beginning, he says, I think he's probably referring to creation and to our existence. It is by God that we began. It is by God that we continue. It is by God that we persevere. In him, we live and we move and we have our being, the Bible tells us. We owe him everything. He is the one that made us and we are his. And yet the second half, when it talks about the fact that we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture, is not talking about our existence, but our belonging. The fact that our belonging has been accomplished by the redemption and adoption that we have in Jesus Christ. That those who are in Jesus Christ are not just God's creation, but we are those who have been welcomed into his family and to his fold. So here's the reality, man. If you are anxious in this world, which I know a lot of us are, if you're anxious about the things going on um, that we face on a daily basis in our culture, um, let me tell you a, a, a comforting truth. Your belonging to God is one of the most calming and comforting truths that you can reflect on. The reality that no matter what happens, no matter who accepts you, no matter what this country or our community or our families end up being, at the end of the day, you belong to God and you will spend eternity with him in peace and security. That is a comforting thought. It's something that we should reflect on daily in the midst of all the stuff that we go through. Okay, so we are his, we belong to him. But then in verse five, we kind of skip over four because we were using it as our theme verse. But in verse five, he gives us three things. He says, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So we want to talk about three more things that we can dwell on, dig down deep in, continue to reflect on and mine the diamonds from, it is those truths. The goodness of God. The God is neither apathetic to you, nor is he unkind to those that he has chosen. Those who belong to him. Jesus reminds us, no one is good but God alone. He is the standard of good. And all that he does is good. That is worthy of approval. You are good and you do good, the Bible says. Every good endowment and perfect gift is from above, from God. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly in him. And we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You ever notice how much the Bible talks about how good God is and how good the good things that he does? It talks a lot about that. And the reality is, is we may not experience everything as good. There's still sin. There's still brokenness. There's still discipline. There's still tragedy in the world. But the reality is, is God's goodness is connected in, in his word to his wisdom and to his sovereignty. And at the end of the day, all that bad stuff is somehow going to be turned backwards. It's all going to become, as Tolkien says, become untrue. And we will see in the end that all of those contributed somehow to the goodness and plan of God. 
Now, and, and again, notice this. Here's what we do all the time is we immediately, when we start talking about the goodness of God, we start saying, yeah, well, Ash, what about this? What about cancer? What about my family member dying? What about abuse? And what about all these things? Okay. We are quick to shift our attention to the mysteries and the questions of God's providence um, and the hard places to others understand. But the reality is, is we are skipping over the myriad obvious examples of his goodness that are pouring out on us every single day. Somebody says, well, God is, he's always good. Oh yeah. Well, what about these things? Oh yeah. What about these things? Okay. These are the things that we should be focusing on. There are mysteries that we won't understand until we get to heaven, but man, this over here is what we focus on. Family, friends, fellowship, health, provision, comfort, work, Home, food, community, church, word, ordinance, growth, babies, weddings, anniversaries, freedom, safety, opportunity, service, kindness, peace, life, faith, love. We could go on forever and talk about all the goodness that God pours out in our lives every single day. I love the story of the second century bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. He was arrested threatened with execution as an old man, and he was placed in, in the arena. And they basically said, we got wild animals who can tear you apart. We got, we got, um, you can be burned at the stake. Um, if you do not recant, if you do not deny Christ, this is your, this is your, um, fate. And Polycarp looked to the authorities and said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Right. Polycarp looked and said, I had an aunt. She was a great aunt, actually. I didn't ever know her, but but she died about the time I was born. But my mom would tell this story that uh, on her deathbed, as she was dying of cancer, uh, the family was there with her one day and they were talking to her. And she said, I've never had a sad day in my entire life. And you go, that can't be true, because we know. You look back through her family history, right? She had loved ones die and she had difficult things happen and, and it was the depression and the war and all kinds of things, right? But the reality is, is the way she experienced those things is she said, I've never had a sad day in my life because God has blessed me in myriad ways. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have to recognize and to experience the goodness of God like that. He also says steadfast love. God's steadfast love endures forever. We can talk about different aspects of love, right? We talk about emotion and desire and pleasure and service and all these things like that. But when we talk about God's love for us, the idea that, that it revolves around most centrally is God's sacrificial self-giving, okay? That's what the love of God is about. It is his sacrificial self-giving. To give oneself for the good of their beloved. That's what love is. But it says here that it is, it's not just that kind of love, but it is a steadfast kind of love, resolute, unwavering, unconditional love that he has for his people. To say it flippantly, God doesn't have a crush on you, okay? He doesn't have a circumstantial attraction because of something about you. He will not one day move on when somebody better comes along. He is committed to his people and gives of himself, gives of his own goodness for our blessing that we would in turn love him because he first loved us and give ourselves for his joy. 
The love of God is so central to who he is, that steadfast love, that the Bible doesn't talk about the fact that God is loving. The Bible talks about the fact that God is love, that he is defined by that characteristic. His being, his character is tied up uniquely in love. God is lots of things, but it doesn't say all the pla- in different places that he is lots of things. It says that he is love, though. And lastly, it talks about his faithfulness and his faithfulness to all generations. When we talk about God's faithfulness, um, we are talking about the fact that he always does what he said and he fulfills his promises, okay? The essence of our faith is basically a function of his faithfulness. Obviously, the words are connected, right? We trust that God is always going to do what he said he was going to do. That's where our salvation lies. I don't know if you you recognize that. That's how we access the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We believe that God keeps his promises. God said, I'm going to save you by Jesus dying for your sins and applying his righteousness to you. How do we know you're going to do that, God? The answer is we have faith that he will. Why can we have faith in God? Because he is faithful. He always keeps his promises. That faithfulness is related to his truthfulness. It's related to his reliability. But this passage also relates it to what? His immutability, his unchangingness, which we've dealt with multiple times in the last few weeks. God is faithful, but he's not just faithful. He is faithful to what? To all generations. So that is to say the God who cared for Abraham, the God who cared for David, the God who cared for Paul, the God who cared for Augustine, the God who cared for Calvin, is the same God who cares for me and has cared for me and has cared for them and will continue to care for them and continue to care for me into eternity. From now to the end of the world and beyond, God's promises will remain true and he will be faithful to them. Okay. And so here's the deal. Again, as we reflect on these things, man, if they don't light your candle, you need to check your wick. Okay. If these things don't elicit thankfulness in our hearts as we dig into the truths of who God is, then something is wrong. But I got a feeling like for most of us, it does elicit those things. I hope the case is that even as we just sit here and talk about them right now, that thankfulness is welling up in your hearts. And so to reflect on his goodness, his love, his faithfulness in our lives, in his word, throughout church history, in, in the unending spring of, of events that we have in our own lives, right? The unending ways that we have experienced that. Truth is, is we will never find the bottom of it. We can investigate these things and meditate and, and search these things out. We can, we will never find the extent. We will never find the end of it because these things, and that's, that's the neat thing about who God is, is you know what happens? The rest of the world, you can't have novelty and intimacy, right? If you're, if you're married, let's take, take a marriage, right? When it's a new relationship, everything's novel, Right. And then you get married and all of a sudden there's less novelty. But what happens is you get, start to go deeper, right? There's an intimacy there that grows over time. Less novelty, more intimacy, more depth. Okay. And that's just the way it is. That's why affairs happen sometimes, right? Because people say, and I want something new. I want to go somewhere else. I want something novel, 
right? The cool thing about God is we will always and forever have both intimacy and novelty because the further we delve into God, the newness of these realities will be, we will be, we'll see them, right? As we go deeper, we will see things about God that we never saw before, that we will understand these things. And those things should elicit thanksgiving, praise, singing, service, all the things that we see in this passage. They will nurture our hearts in thanksgiving, and they will multiply thanksgiving if we will tend to them, right? If we will serve and sing in these ways, and if we will dive deep into the things of God. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, you are gracious. Uh, You are good. You are loving. You are faithful. God, you have made us. You have chosen us. You have redeemed us. You have adopted us. God, we belong to you. In you, we live and move and have our being. Everything that we are, everything that we will be, everything that we have, everything that we know. God, everything is in you. God, we are thankful for the fact that in a world of lostness, in a world of sin, in a world of confusion, God, you have met us, that you have changed us, that you have redeemed us, and God, that you have given us a glimpse of of your graciousness and glory, and that we even have the opportunity to therefore be thankful to you. God, we give you thanks for that. God, we ask that you would help us when we are apathetic, when we are lazy. God, when we are distracted by our own cares and things around us, God, that you would continually draw us back to your grace and goodness and that you would well up in our hearts thanksgiving, that we would understand our relationship to you, that we are totally uh, dependent uh, and, and in your debt, and that yet, God, you continue um, to pour out blessing on us pour out goodness. God, help us live lives worthy of of your goodness and grace to us. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song.
see you. Glad you're here tonight. Um, I'll make this announcement because I didn't mention it earlier, but we had uh, our business meeting earlier um, this evening. And so we voted in uh, Katie Wigington as our new children's director. And so she is going to um, serve in that position. Um, and, and so we're excited about that. We were all, um, many of us know Katie from a long way back. Some people are, are just now meeting her, but she is a, um, I'll just say this. So a couple of, uh, maybe two years ago or something, as we talked about children's ministry and something like Christy and I were having a conversation and she said, you know, who would you get to, like, if you could just pick whoever you wanted to, um, to be the children's minister at, at, at College Street, who'd you pick? And I said, well, I would pick Katie Wigington. Um, and I know she's at her own church and she's got her own stuff going on and, and, you know, whatever, but that's who I would pick. But, so I don't know who we'll get other than that. Maybe the Lord will bring somebody to us, you know, it'll, it'll all work out somehow or whatever. Well, he brought Katie. Um, and so I'm excited about that. Um, and, and I think she's going to be a blessing to, um, to our congregation, certainly to our children. So, um, you can, you can say congratulations and welcome and, and, um, good to have you with us and. Uh, as you um, engage with her. So again, thanks for being here. Good to see you. Um, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Um, if you're traveling, be careful. Um, hope it's a time to, I know holidays can be sometimes as much stress as they can be um, joy, um, but pray that God would meet you and that you would experience Thanksgiving this year, um, that you would remember all the things that we have to be thankful for. Um, hit this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.
think I pulled, I pulled three or four from the dining room table. So. But I think we're just going to get the uh, charts going. There's a
Wow. You killed it. You like it's it's really dead. Did Carly and Becca crack right here and then also did Carly and Becca end up coming or no? Grab that, that podium, and take Breed over here. All right, hold on, I gotta. Uh, Tim, I can get half of that if you want me to, if you just want to take part of it. Just leave that right there for a second, Indian. I'll let you carry my computer and I'll carry that. Nobody gave mom her phone. Me too. I don't have it. They found it just sitting there, but so you probably check. Like sitting over where? In the room. We took pictures of the kids today so that we can make Christmas ornaments with their like faces in them. Yeah. Oh look, there's my face. Why are you recording with my face? It's